Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome this Labor Day weekend to Grace Crossing Church. So thankful to have you here. We have a great house this morning of people. So glad that you joined us here. Now, we've been beginning our um, talks each week with a moment of stillness and silence. We're going to do that again this morning. Because it's a chance for us to calibrate our heart to God. It's an invitation. It's an invitation that we can give to God to say, God, how are you coming to me in this area? And what are you trying to say to me about oneness? Psalm 139, we've used our past few weeks, and let me read it to us and remind us of what it says. Search me, God and know my heart. What a prayer. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Would you just take a moment and join me in a moment of stillness and silence as we use this as catalyst to say, God, we invite you in to test us, to know us, to know our anxious thoughts, to see if there is some offensive way in my heart that I can surrender to you today. Let's quiet ourselves before the Lord. God, we breathe out our anxious thoughts. And we breathe in your peace this morning. Now this morning we continue our series one. I don't know if I've been more excited about a series than this series. Because we've been praying into this series for a long time. It's been one of our values for years. We've had a value of oneness in Christ. But it's the first time that we are doing intentionally a series that we are combining with our connection groups in an effort to really lift up this value to a higher place and for us to become much more intentional about honoring God in this area here at Grace Crossing Church in our world and our community. We want to be on the front edge of what the Lord's doing. And so we uh, announced on our very first week uh, and asked everybody to join us in praying. And we asked you to set an alarm on your phone for 714. 7.14 a.m. or 7.14 p.m. as a reminder to pray. I'm just curious. How many of you have gotten interrupted in a meeting with your alarm? Okay, come on. How many of you have had your alarm go off? You've been in the middle of a conversation. I've done it more than once. And I just simply invite those people to pray with me for just about a minute. And we spend time just asking the Lord for his blessing. If you're not doing it, I really want to urge you to do it. I had somebody say to me last weekend, um, why did you pick 714? Well, some of you maybe didn't connect the dots between the scripture verse I shared. 2 Chronicles 714, which says, If my people called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. So 7.14 in the morning and 7.14 in the evening, my alarm goes off. And for 40 days I'm praying and I'm praying with you and I'm asking you to pray with me. I'm asking you to partner together as a body 
Because humble dependence is what's going to lead the way in everything we do at Grace Crossing Church. But in this area particularly, we must have a posture of humble dependence on God. And when we pray, it is our way to tell God we're serious about humility and we're serious about our dependence on you. God, we need you and we need you to move before us. So if you haven't already done it, there's still time. You can set your alarm and you can join us for the remainder of our series. And one of the things we ended with last week, and I want to begin with this week, is last week, and I gave you a challenge at the end. In the end of the service, my challenge to you, and we've been doing this every week, issuing a challenge, it was simple. Move this week towards somebody who is racially, ethnically, or culturally different from you. Regardless of your ethnicity, move towards somebody who's different than you. And actually take the mystery out of that individual. Because so often we see people, and here's the reality, we don't even know them because we don't know them. We don't know their story. We don't know their background. We don't know their challenges. We don't know their difficulties. We don't know their worldview. We don't know what they've experienced in their life. Their narrative is very different from our narrative. And what we must understand is we must understand their uh, worldview and their uh, perspective on life. And to do that, we've got to move toward them. So I hope you did that this week. Um, I did that actually just yesterday. I had the opportunity at a restaurant. A young lady, African-American, was serving us and um, a place I'd never been to before. And um, it was a great opportunity just to move toward her in relationship. I could tell she was very moved as we were talking early in the early stages of our conversation. And I, I often will do this when I'm at a restaurant. I'll often say to our server, about ready to pray for our meal, is there anything I can pray for you about? Is there anything that I can pray um, for you as we pray? And uh, I did that actually at the end of when, when I was talking with her and had a chance to learn her story. That she, was, she grew up in this area, she had moved to New York City, she had lived there for over 20 years. Uh, she'd been highly successful, but eight years ago, uh, a mother who's failing health uh, was in need of her, brought her back here to this community. And she's had to get a job working in a restaurant to just simply make ends meet to be able to take care uh, of her mom. And it was a great chance for me to learn about Melissa and learn about her story and be able to just encourage her as I got to know her story. She's no longer a mystery to me. When I go to that restaurant again, I know Melissa, know her story. And, and, and I have an opportunity to build relationship with her in a way I would have never had had I not just simply moved in her direction. And I invite you to do the very same thing. Now, by way of reminder, let me just tell you why we're doing this series, because I think it's important you understand this. First of all, our big objective is that we will have a clearer understanding of what the Scripture teaches about oneness. We need a firm foundation. We need a theological bedrock for why oneness matters so much to God's heart. So we come to the Bible, and the Bible provides us both the motivation and the means for oneness. The second uh, thing that matters to us in this series that we're really encouraging all of us to do is to lean into it with a posture of humility, which means that we are looking, we are listening, we are learning, and ultimately we are loving. And let me just say that if there's only one thing that Grace Crossing Church will ever be known for in this community I would want Grace Crossing Church to be known as a church that truly loved, not just in word, but in deed. 
that we actually really loved well, the way God intends us to. That is the ultimate goal of emotional health for us here. Because when we are emotionally healthy, we are able to love ourselves well, God well, and others really, really well. And the third and really the ultimate purpose of this series is to better align grace with the kingdom of God. Everything we do should be moving us toward our northern star. And our northern star as followers of Jesus Christ is always the kingdom of God. When we get aligned to God, we will look more like his kingdom here on the earth. And we really want to move as a church in that direction. It's important to us. So with that, I remind you of Jesus' prayer in John's Gospel, chapter 17, the night before he gives his life. Here's what Jesus prays when it comes to oneness. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Now when Jesus prayed for complete unity, Jesus is not just praying for like-mindedness with those who look like you, talk like you, and believe like you. He's actually talking about diverse unity. He's talking about being made complete in him with our differences and with our distinctions, but there is a diversity in our ethnicity, in our culture, in our race that brings us together as one. You see, the ultimate goal and the big idea of this series is is that oneness is not unity. Oneness is diverse unity. It's easy to agree with people and to find common ground with people who are like you. It's quite another thing to find that ground with people who are different. And so Jesus tells us here, it's going to be brought to complete unity. Then he says this, then the world will know. Then, then the world will know that you sent me You have loved me, you have loved them, even as you have loved me. You see, unity will always get God's favor, but diverse unity will get God's favor and the world's attention. And so as we continue this series this morning, we're going to journey back to the book that we landed in last weekend that I told you we would stay in for the balance of this series for the next number of weeks. And that is the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is actually the model of diverse unity. It is the most beautiful model of diverse unity that we find throughout the Scripture. By way of reminder, Paul the Apostle is the first Christian missionary who actually shows up in Ephesus. And when he gets there, he finds quite a collection of people. He finds a cosmopolitan melting pot. I I said last weekend that Ephesus... Ancient Ephesus was a lot like New York City. It was diverse in so many ways. It was racially diverse. It was ethnically diverse. It was culturally diverse. It was socioeconomically diverse. It was religiously diverse. And it was in this collection that people who are, who are idol worshipers, many of them, are now co- becoming God worshipers. They're coming to faith in Christ, and they're now joining together and gathering together as the body of Christ. They're a spiritual mosaic that God is putting together. And this spiritual mosaic becomes the illustration of diverse unity throughout the first century. 
So last weekend, we looked at the epicenter of the book of Ephesians. And the epicenter of the book of Ephesians actually tells us a secret. Paul reveals the secret to what he calls the mystery of God's will that had been hidden in Christ for ages, but has now become evident in this spiritual mosaic. Here it is, Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I don't want you to miss this. Heirs together, members together, sharers together. As these diverse believers came together, the mystery of God's will that had been hidden in Christ for ages now becomes visible. It now becomes fully evident. Here's the reality. The church has always been intended to be the place where God's oneness and diverse unity was to be put on full display for the world to see. And if it isn't modeled in the church, the world will never have a vision of what it looks like. Now Paul gives us that right in the center of the letter. In chapter number two, he lets us into how this works. And we want to begin this morning at the second chapter, beginning at verse number 11. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. Now remember, Gentiles are all of those who don't have Jewish blood. Every single person that didn't have Jewish running in their veins was lumped all together, and they were called Gentiles. And Paul says, don't forget that you used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. So here's what the Jews believed. A pastor friend told me this that I thought was really, really a great insight. That the Jews believed that the Gentiles were created by God to keep the fires of hell burning. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that level of ethnic pride? Now, before we judge the Jews, let me just ask you a question. Have you ever believed that you were superior to another race? Have you ever believed or were convinced that there were certain people or groups of people that were beyond God's grace? That they could never be saved? Al-Qaeda? I mean, we could put all sorts of groups of people and all sorts of of ethnicities in that equation, in that statement. But here's the reality. All of us at times 
have tended to believe that way or think that way. And what God needs to remind us of is what he teaches us in Scripture. These Jews had circumcised their bodies. They had removed the foreskin of their flesh, but they had not removed the foreskin of their hearts where germs and pride was growing out of control. He said, in those days you were living apart from Christ. Let's continue reading. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. You did not know the covenant promises that God had made to them. You lived in this world, Gentiles, without God and without hope. Now, let me just tell you, those two things will always go hand in hand. When we are without God, we are without hope. And when we are with God, we are with hope. There was a day they were living outside. They were, they were without God, without hope, but now you have been united in Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. God sent Jesus Christ to this earth to make outsiders insiders. God sent Jesus Christ on a mission to say this, you belong. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity. It doesn't matter what your culture. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. You belong. You matter to God and you matter to me. And Jesus throughout his ministry models this. He, he displays this in his priorities in his earthly ministry. John's Gospel chapter 4 records, and those of you in connection groups talked about this story this past week. But in John's Gospel chapter 4, Jesus actually moves from Judea to Galilee. And the Bible says this in John's Gospel chapter 4 verses 3 and 4. He, Jesus, left Judea and set out once more for Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria. Now, there are two really important questions that we need to answer when we come to this text. The first one is this. Did Jesus really have to go through Samaria? Isn't that what it says? He had to pass through Samaria. Well, the answer to that is found in both the history and in the map. If you look at a map, you'll notice that Judea is south of Samaria. Galilee is north of Samaria. And it would look as though the only route north was through Samaria. But that wasn't the case. In fact, it was religiously forbidden for a Jew to actually step foot inside of Samaria, in that region. So the Jews traveled north to south and south to north on the east side of the Jordan River. They would be on the outside of the boundary of Samaria, and so traveling that direction made it acceptable as long as they didn't step foot inside of Samaria. Now, John's gospel uses this verse, this verb, had to, several times in his gospel. And when Jesus 
is talking about this here. He is actually using this. When John's talking about Jesus doing this, he's using this same verb in other ways he has throughout John's gospel. And in John's gospel, this idea of having to most often had to do with doing God's will. So when John writes that Jesus had to go through Samaria, he is not suggesting that it was geographically necessary. What he was suggesting is this. He doesn't have to go because there's no other route. He has to go because it's God's will. It's God's plan. It's God's desire to bring diverse unity, to bring togetherness between two races and cultures. And when you hear that word, he had to go, do not think of it as convenience. Think of it as obedience. He's obeying his father. The second thing we got to ask ourselves is, what was the deal with the Jews and the Samaritans? Like, why could they not travel there? Well, there's lots of history about this. But in a nutshell, let me say this. The Samaritans were descendants of two different races. So they had Jewish blood running in their veins, but they also had Assyrian blood. They were interracial. They were spiritual mutts in the eyes of the Jews. There was all sorts of historic conflict and tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. And if you read historically, what you discover is a lot of it had to do with where we worship and how we worship. There was a war between these two cultures. And so here's what the Bible says Jesus does. Back to John chapter 4, verses 7 and 9. Jesus comes to a well called Jacob's Well. While there, it says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, you, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Literally what she's saying is this, how dare you? How dare you? And then John adds this parenthetical statement, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. You know what it literally means? It literally means Jews do not touch the vessels that a Samaritan has touched. Because to touch a vessel that had been touched by a Samaritan would make you ceremonially unclean. You are religiously impure. So for Jesus to put his Jewish lips on her Samaritan cup was a big deal. It was actually an invitation of sorts. What Jesus here is doing is Jesus is actually extending a relational invitation that crosses racial barriers. How many of you remember the song from the 1960s written by Simon and Garfunkel called Bridge Over Troubled Water? How many of you happen to remember the song? I want you to 
just listen to the lyrics of that song. When you're weary, feeling small, when tears are in your eyes, I will dry them all. I'm on your side. When times get rough and friends just can't be found, like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. You know what Jesus Christ did with this Samaritan woman? Jesus Christ said, I understand the troubles. I understand the turbulent waters. I get it. I understand what's going to be said about you, and I understand what's going to be said about me when I put my lips on your cup. But here's what I want you to understand. I have come to this earth to lay me down as a bridge over troubled cultural, racial, and ethnic barriers and waters. I've come to be the bridge to make myself the one that you can walk across to get to God. Paul actually in Ephesians chapter 2 goes on to tell us how this looks. He says in verse 14, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Can you imagine? There was a war going on. And it had gone on for centuries. And there was all sorts of ethnic pride that was happening both ways. And in Christ, he comes to say, you are two different people. I'm not asking you to give up your differences or your distinctions. I'm not asking you to lay down your uniqueness, but what I am asking you to do is I'm asking you to become one person in me. I love the language Paul goes on to use in verse number 15. It's really, really uh, poignant. He says that his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. When you become part of the family of God, you don't become part of a religious institution and organization. You become part of a new humanity. It is a humanity that looks nothing like the world. It is so different from everything we've seen. We don't have an example of what this looks like, of this new humanity, in any other place but the church. And in the church, we become literally a brand new humanity. We get a new identity. We have new name. We get a new father. We have new brothers and sisters that don't look like us, that don't talk like us, that don't have our understanding, our worldview, but we move toward one another because guess what? We are one new humanity. He did it by making peace. He says this in verse 16. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. Now, you would agree with me that hostility, racial tension, cultural and ethnic violence is not over. It still exists. 
It's actually pretty prolific in our world throughout many nations of our world, right here in our own country. Do not think for a moment that the idea of diverse unity is going to put an end to the tension and an end to the conflict. It won't. But what diverse unity means is that we enter into the tension and into the conflict as ambassadors of God's peace. We go there, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's difficult. How was this hostility ended? It was ended by reconciliation. That's a powerful theological word. It's rich in the Scripture. And it's one that all of us have to understand what what Paul is getting at here in reconciliation that is a narrative that he writes and he weaves throughout the New Testament. The word in first century Greek culture was used in two different ways. It was used, first of all, as a military term to suggest the coming onto friendly terms of two enemies. That those who were once enemies are now on friendly terms. You know what Jesus Christ did for us? He put us on friendly terms with God. He got rid of the hostility. We now call God our friend. God calls us his friend. But there's another second word, that an idea that was used in first century Greek culture, and that was a financial term. It didn't only come out of the military world, it also came out of the financial world. And the word simply meant to bring into balance accounts, bringing into consideration transactions that have not yet cleared. Now, I love the way Taurus a few weeks ago talked about this. It was really powerful because he talked about this idea of reconciling, having two different views, two different accounts of things, but we've got to go to a neutral place to find agreement. And that's the idea of reconciliation. The idea is that we are reconciled when our account is brought into balance by Jesus Christ. And Paul tells us how this looks. 2 Corinthians, in his letter to 2 Corinthians, here's what he says, beginning at verse number, chapter 5, verse 16. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation, there it is again, the new creation has come. The old is gone, The new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Verse 18, he continues. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave the ministry of reconciliation to us. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Now notice these words. Not counting people's sins against them. That is an accounting term. What it literally is suggesting is that there are things that have been blotted out. That's what the word literally means. Obliterated, blotted out, erased from the books. 
through Jesus Christ. In our world of commerce, we call it cooking the books. It's not a good term. It means that you are elevating assets and you are somehow hiding or eliminating liabilities. Well, guess what God did for us through Christ? He actually said, I'm adding to you the value of Christ and I'm getting rid and I'm blotting out things. I'm not even going to remember those things on the books any longer. And so by doing so, I'm bringing you together with God. And then he says this in verse 19. He has committed to us this message of reconciliation. God did not just send Jesus to do it. Jesus sent us to do it. God did not just entrust to Jesus the message of reconciliation. The war is gone. You're now on friendly terms. I'm blotting out all of your sins and transgressions. I'm not going to hold them against you. But now, notice what he says. I've given to you this message, this ministry of reconciliation. That's profound. Jesus never told us this is the truth. Believe it. He told us, I am the truth. Follow me. Being a follower of Christ is not believing the right things. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is literally joining God in the mission that he gave to Jesus Christ and becoming a part, becoming an ambassador of that mission that he gave to Jesus here in the world. Every single time we move toward reconciliation, every time we share that message of reconciliation, every time we said, you are on friendly terms with me because God wants you to be on friendly terms with him, we are actually being an ambassador. We are doing the mission for which Jesus gave us. I used to believe that my highest priority was to be in the world for God. I no longer believe that. I think if you read the scripture, it's actually the exact, exact opposite. I think we as followers of Christ are called to be in God for the world. Because when I am in Christ and Christ is in, in me, everybody benefits. But when I am not in Christ and I'm, I'm living like Christ, I'm not doing the things that he was about, everyone suffers. Our job is to be in God, fully in him, for the world, not the other way around. And here's the finished product. Back to the second chapter. Verses 17 and 19. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him. Peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Jesus came to make outsiders insiders. I am a follower of Jesus today because Jesus came to make outsiders insiders. He came to say you belong. You matter to God. You matter to me. 
and every one of us here that call Christ our Savior. We have been brought into this relationship because of reconciliation. And he now has given to us this ministry. And so here's my challenge for you this week. Here's my challenge. My challenge is what one step can you take like Christ? Like Christ did with the Samaritan woman. What one step can you take to offer reconciliation? What one thing can you do to move toward those who are not like you? Over the last couple of years, I've spent more of my time going to restaurants, visiting places that are outside of this community. You see, I just live a couple miles from Fairfield Commons Mall. Everything's there I could want. And my tendency is always to go to places that are most convenient. But I've actually been intentionally going to downtown Dayton to restaurants that I would not otherwise frequent because I don't live there. But I'm going because I want to move toward. And my challenge to you this week is, what is a place you can go to? A restaurant, a store you can frequent. And the Oregon district does not count, okay? <laughs> Where you can move into a place that might not be familiar, but God might be able to open your heart to more understanding, more awareness for those who are different from you. We are agents and ambassadors of reconciliation. Friends, let's take this serious. The mission God gave to Jesus, he gave to us. And we are called. Taurus, brother, would you come, please? And would you just this morning close us in prayer? This is a topic you touched on a few weeks ago, brother. Pray and dismiss us. Sure thing. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you first and foremost asking your forgiveness for all the sins that I've committed against you, things that I have not done that I should have, and also those things that I know I shouldn't have done that I have done. I come on behalf of all these people who are here, Lord God, asking that you would bless the hearers of the word that you have given to them today. I'm asking, Father, that in the name of Jesus that you would show yourself strong and true even to those who do not yet know you, who do not know Jesus as the Savior and the Lord of all. I'm asking, Father, that in the name of Jesus, that all those who do believe that Jesus is the Son of God, who, who are right now trusting, I ask that you would increase their hope, that you would increase their power, Father, as they walk with you. I ask also that you would help them to not just understand this word that was given to them today, but I'm asking, Lord God, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit to where they will move as you move them. As we've heard today, Lord, I pray that you would actually help us to see past all of the things that the enemy will throw in front of us to stop us. I pray, Father, that you would make it very clear for us to see you, that we may go wherever you call us to go to. I'm also asking, Lord God, that in the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would change the way we see one another to where we no longer see black nor white. And I don't mean it from the cultural standpoint. I mean it, Father, from the standpoint of 
being in Christ first. I pray that you help all of us look to the cross and see that it is empty, that Christ is no longer there, that we will lift our eyes and look forward to your return. I pray, Father, that we will look to you for all things and recognize that your word is true. Strengthen our faith where we are weak. I pray, Master, that you would help all of us to look past what we see right now, even in the midst of our day-to-day, that we will look toward a future. Father, that we will look to the future that you hold for all of us and see that you have appointed a time for us in this small group of believers. I pray, Father, that you would help us every single day that as we walk, sometimes we may get scared, but help us to look toward one another, to strengthen one another, to keep on taking steps so we can all make it together as one to the destined place that you've already mapped out for us. But Father, we recognize that we can't do any of this without you right now. So we praise you. We thank you for the reconciliation that you've already given us in Christ Jesus. And it's in Christ alone that I thank you so very much for the reconciliation and the restoration that you've promised. We move with you, Father. We move in you, God for this world. Bless those who are in the sound of my voice. I ask that you would be with them. And if there are any who are here right now who do not know Jesus, I pray, Father, that you would prick their hearts. Let them see and know that they need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web www.gracecrossingchurch.net We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.